You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello, and welcome to the Nitty Gritty Podcast with Nurse M. Today, I'm going to talk about pulmonary edema and basically the breakdown of what causes pulmonary edema and what we would do as nurses in order to intervene, treat, and evaluate pulmonary edema in a patient that we might be caring for. And in order to start, let's talk about what pulmonary edema is, which is just effectively a buildup of fluid in the lungs, specifically a buildup of fluid in either the alveoli and or the interstitium, which is the lung tissue that's sandwiched between the alveoli and the capillaries. And the reason why this is a problem is because when we get pulmonary edema, which is the buildup of that fluid, it makes oxygen exchange rather difficult, which leads these patients into hypoxia. Now there's three different factors at play. The first one is hydrostatic pressure and that's pressure felt by fluid in a confined space pushing it out. So basically there's too much pressure and it pushes it out into the interstitial space and that is what can cause that fluid to to shift. And then there's oncotic pressure. And oncotic pressure is a type of osmotic pressure exerted by cells and proteins that cannot cross the capillary membrane, thus attracting fluid. And where we will see that is in like a protein and electrolyte like sodium imbalance that causes the solute shifting. And the third factor at play is capillary permeability, which is just the leakiness and affects how easily the fluid gets through. And big players that can cause an increase in capillary permeability are going to be things like inflammation, sepsis, or ARDS. And basically, all of these three factors, hydrostatic pressure, oncotic pressure, and capillary permeability, all of these at play result in a small amount of fluid that leaks into the interstitial space and is subsequently removed and whisked away by the lymphatic channels in the lungs, keeping them free from excess fluid in a normal functioning individual's lungs. So when someone develops pulmonary edema, one of these three things is altered. So either the pressure, electrolytes, or leakiness are changed, which allow the fluid to fill into the alveoli. There's two primary causes. So it's either going to be cardiogenic pulmonary edema or non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. The first one that I'm going to discuss is cardiogenic pulmonary edema. And the potential result of this is heart disease. So it's going to be some sort of heart failure that allowed the fluid to accumulate in the lung system. And when we think about right-sided versus left-sided heart failure, the left side, L for lungs, the left side, when that fails, is what backs up into the lungs. So the blood backs up into the left atrium and through the pulmonary veins and pulmonary capillaries, it causes pulmonary hypertension, which is an increase in hydrostatic pressure that results in the pulmonary edema. In severe systemic hypertension, so that's a blood pressure that's greater than 180 systolic and 110 diastolic, the heart cannot effectively pump with a high afterload. And so it's a systemic pressure issue. And it follows the same sequence as left-sided heart failure that results in the fluid backup where the blood backs up into the left atrium because the left ventricle has failed, right? And that blood from the left atrium then clogs up the pulmonary veins, the pulmonary capillaries, and causes the pulmonary hypertension, which is the increased hydrostatic pressure that results in pulmonary edema. Now, non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema causes oftentimes is is damage to the pulmonary capillaries or alveoli from direct injury. 
and an inflammatory process then begins, which increases the permeability. And these can be things like pulmonary infections or an inhalation of toxic substances, like a firefighter that goes into a burning building without a face mask on has a high likelihood of inhaling toxic substances, which is going to directly injure the alveoli, which causes them to have an inflammatory process, increasing that permeability and fluid fills in. Another thing that can cause non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema when we think about the inflammatory process is going to be anything like trauma to the chest or even some sort of surgery that could be messing with the lungs directly that can cause them to want to to initiate that inflammatory process. Now, sepsis is another big player in non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema because it's inflammation throughout the entire body and there's extra fluid everywhere because of that vasodilation sequence. And then we put more fluid in and the fluid has to go somewhere and there's shifting all over. The other thing is low oncotic pressure. So not making enough proteins, for example, like albumin. And this can result from individuals who have liver failure or maybe malnutrition and they're not getting in enough protein. Or maybe they're not getting enough protein, but maybe they're just losing it too quickly, like in a nephrotic syndrome. So a low oncotic pressure results from an imbalance in proteins in the body, either losing too much of it or not making enough of it, which results in fluid going from the capillaries to the interstitium, causing that pulmonary edema to occur. Either way, we look at this when we talk about pulmonary edema, whether it's cardiogenic based, which would be with heart failure or non-cardiogenic based, which think, you know, inhalation injuries or sepsis, things like that. Either way, we boil this down. Pulmonary edema is just fluid in the lungs that is interfering with gas exchange and it is preventing CO2 and O2 from diffusing appropriately. So people who have this, what are they going to look like and how are they going to present? Here's your pee of the pie. They're going to be short of breath because they're not actually doing adequate oxygen exchange. And they're going to be hypoxic because oxygen can't get in because there's too much of a thick fluid layer that is going to prevent oxygen from getting to the cells and CO2 from being depositing. They might also have orthopnea. They might have tachypnea, which is a rapid breathing rate. They might be cyanotic because they're not getting enough oxygen in. They might be diaphoretic because they're having to work extra hard trying to pump blood around to get oxygen. They're also, in some people, going to have crackles in the lungs that are not cleared with coughing or peripheral edema and even a JVD, which is jugular vein distension because the fluid is backing up or that like in heart failure. If the heart has failed, the fluid cannot properly get through and be perfused adequately. The other key kind of sign and symptoms that many nursing schools associate with pulmonary edema is going to be a pink frothy sputum. And the reason behind that is when you have the alveoli that are overloaded with fluid, it will bubble itself out. And so when the person then coughs, they're going to try to get rid of fluid that way. So what are we going to do and what are our interventions as nurses going to be? for pulmonary edema management. How do we approach this? Well, the first thing that you can do is you can just give them supplemental oxygen. Depending on the severity of the pulmonary edema, it's not going to be sufficient enough and they might need to have BiPAP put on for that positive and expiratory pressure. And even then, sometimes BiPAP is not going to be sufficient enough to get adequate oxygen exchange, and these patients will then need to be intubated. The further management really depends on the underlying cause. So, for example, if someone has pulmonary edema because it's cardiogenic and they've got heart failure, we're going to need to give them medications 
that will boost the heart's performance. So things like preload and afterload reducers like milrinone or hydrolazine, maybe we're going to give them a positive inotropic agent like dopamine. And then we may even give medications to lower the blood pressure like diuretics or blood pressure medications. Now, if the pulmonary edema is not due to the cardiogenic component, but due to inflammation or low oncotic pressures, for example, Really, the interventions that we're going to need to do is to manage the illness to resolve the pulmonary edema like in its entirety. So in order for us to really understand pulmonary edema, it's either going to be driven by the heart or not. And if it's driven by the heart, it has to do with heart failure. And if it's not driven by the heart and someone still has pulmonary edema, it's going to be the direct result of either some sort of sepsis or inflammation, or maybe they inhaled a toxin that damaged the alveoli, causing an inflammatory process, and that inflammatory process resulted in capillary permeability. So when we think about how they look, they're going to be all things respiratory, short of breath, hypoxic. They're going to have that pink frothy sputum. You know, if, if you're wondering, like, pink frothy sputum, like, what does that even mean? It's like the foam of a latte, right? It's not the latte itself. It's not the milk, but it's the foam that they put on it. It's that pink frothy kind of sputum. And the other key thing is that when you go to assess these patients and you listen to the lung sounds, they're going to have crackles that don't clear with coughing. So sometimes when we listen to breath sounds and we hear crackles, if you can get your patient to just cough and clear some extra material that's been just sitting in the lungs making noises, adventitious sounds, right? With one good or two good coughs, that'll clear it. And then when you listen, the lung sounds sound fine. In patients with pulmonary edema, when you ask them to cough and try to clear those sounds, they don't, they don't clear with a cough. And then if you think about all things perfusion related, right? If someone is not adequately perfusing oxygen, what do they look like? They might have anxiety. They might be diaphoretic. They're going to be potentially tachycardic and have tachypnea, which is that rapid respiratory, right? So the underlying cause of the pulmonary edema is really at the root of what needs to be identified and then treated. And so you have to understand which approach is causing the pulmonary edema to begin with, and then how do we treat it? And that will drive the nursing interactions that we must follow through with. Pulmonary edema oftentimes is just an acute-based issue. We shouldn't be sending someone home who's got pulmonary edema. But what we do know is it just doesn't occur overnight. It might take a minute to develop, especially when we think about firefighters that go into burning houses and they inhale all of that smoke that has the toxins of the materials that have been burning. The inflammatory process is not going to happen right away, but it might happen over the course of a few hours, which is why these particular patients are monitored for quite a period of time. If you think about it, like correlate the inflammatory process with spraining your ankle. It's a really bad example, but you trip off the side of a curb of a sidewalk and you twist your ankle like the swelling doesn't necessarily happen immediately, but in an hour or two or three you're really going to notice the swelling. And it's similar in this case in my personal experience. So that's everything that I've got on pulmonary edema to share with you today. If you like what you hear in this podcast, or if you have an idea of a topic that you'd like for me to cover, make sure you send me a message. Email is listed in the description of the podcast. And other than that, go forth and keep on learning.